Welcome back to Good to Geek Out. Good place to go to geek out. If you want to go see some geeks, geek out, then you come here. Or you can come here yourself and geek out. Geek out all over the place, too. There's even kids geeking out in the background. You can hear them. Uh, ready to cover Mandalorian Chapter 13, The Jedi, which has been spoiled beyond reason already and has only been out for a couple days. Thank you, Kevin Smith. Editor San Antonio here with my buddies ready to attack this clone. Hey, coming at you. Uh, Phoenix, Oregon, rising from the ashes, excited for this episode. Mind-blowing. I'm exhausted after watching it. Edge of my seat the entire time. Second time, edge of my seat. Still catching my breath. Just, just closed it up a few minutes ago. Oh, crazy. Bubba Fresh, San Francisco. The sun is setting early. Winter is upon us. The moon is that of blood tonight. Welcome to the Geek Out. Spoilers ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know that we talked about how the last cold open seemed forced and uh, not organic. Maybe the second part, but not the first. This one, let me just tell you, I made uh, Thanksgiving leftovers. Hungry, starving, high as hell, ready to eat. <laughs> I did not touch them for about 45 minutes because I was on the edge of my seat for this whole episode and I forgot that food was even there. What'd you guys think about that cold opening? Ahsoka Tana coming in like a... Jedi boss grandmaster using the skills oh, straight out of straight from Rebels or Clone Wars. Uh, the special effects, the, the movement, all great. Um, had a really uh, Kira Sawa feel to it. Um, coming in with the samurai village or town, uh, warlord, uh, boom. And that, that, that was just the beginning. You have one day, not even like you have a day. <laughs> and both of them just stand in their ground like all right i'll take a day <laughs> Whew. set the stage uh, yeah. Oh. yeah um a a beautiful cold open that you know if the if the cold open is supposed to be the preamble or the foreshadowing for what we're going to get for the rest of the episode it completely nailed it is Lucy said it has a very Akira Kurosawa feel and definitely that line between homage and derivative where you just turn it into something and make it your own visually as Ed had noted in the very first one uh, this season they switch into the more cinematic framework and in this one, they just stick with that framework the entire time. And it just takes you to the grand scope of everything. And not only are you drinking in a lot of visual information, what you're drinking in is bleak. Like they show you a lot of that world, but it's all 
barren trees and scorched earth and dusty browns and silhouetted blacks and and these uh the, these shifting smokes so the asiatic feel that was woven throughout was was just there as she you know straight ninjas her way through the the cold open which was dope because i was watching uh, gi joe the other day and i was like weren't ninjas super popular when did people stop liking ninjas like when did we stop having ninjas everywhere storm shadow blah blah blah, blah. anyway point being is that the way she ghosted around was beautiful set the stage amazing yeah i guess to answer your question would be uh tenchu the ninja tenchi i forget there was that game they they really rode ps2 maybe they really rode that ninja thing into the ground and then it just kind of never resurrected. Kind of like what they're doing to the zombie thing right now. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, the forest planet of Corvus, yet from the moment they land, we see no damn trees. All we see are those big burly things eating the branches, I mean the leftover uh, husks of the trees. And um, I guess from the beginning, if you're going to talk about uh, like foreshadowing, Baby Yoda using the force for the first time this season to get the ball from that had, you know, a, a lot of uh, meaning in season one. And we haven't really seen a reference yet. It's referenced here. So which is a foreshadowing of force shadowing, I guess, of what this episode is going to be about. Um, some force shadowing of some forest, some force shadowing of some foreshadowing of some forest shadowing uh like you said they get down there to the beautiful world that is all burnt down and post imperial scorched earth war battle has come and i think that the visuals of these giant herbivore peaceful beasts but they're you know like they, there's not enough for them to eat like you know like they they're uh what they need to sustain themselves the planet can't provide clearly. And I think that's a great metaphor for the people within the village and the way that the, uh, the warlord has come through and really dominated the earth to everyone or dominated Corvus to everyone else's dismay. Lucy, what'd you think about that uh, awesome ass spear? Oh, the best car, the best car spear that, uh, ah, you know, I, um, uh, what, what am I looking for here? It, it, it fit the episode very well. It, it gave, gave her a sense of power, um, which uh, she has, and uh, she'll demonstrate the use of that spear later in the episode. Um, but also she knows the Mandalorian's uh, motives. Yeah, you know, what's more important to him? So she throws that out there as like, hey, you do for me, I know you're a hunter. Um, so uh, putting that out there in the beginning, I thought was, was pretty well done um very very uh, like feudal japan she is the warlord she's got her samurai keeping the peasants down um and you know it's kind of like a like a ronin here here's a ronin yeah i i, I thought uh kind of maintaining to the warlord theme um instead of having like the heads on a pike we get these people that are strapped to these little little electrified cages that are just randomly shocked like even better like why not keep why not keep the prey alive slightly to to freak people out more than have their decapitated head almost like how strotter you were uh admiring 
the death pill form that this took. that's what it made me think of also it made me think of how they did a great job kind of updating these archaic uh fields there's no need to waste any time like we are so familiar with the medium that we know the tropes and so we don't need to like the long drawn out scene like the the gunslinger scenes the various gunslinger scenes that happen throughout the episodes where the, you have the two people face off <laughs> which happens repeatedly it's a motif that happens repeatedly throughout the episodes none of them seem to dangle too long like uh the quick and the dead or something like that like it's very easy to make like three tin yuma sometimes like uh magnif the, the newest magnificent seven like pacing in movies now is just so quick that they don't know how to do like an old school weighted out and really like savor the moment. And in this one, they, everything takes up the amount of time that it needs to for the scene that it is. Um, agreed. Um, I, there was something about Mando and the way he like held that spear in the beginning that it definitely has weight. I mean, we, we won't know until maybe later on in, in the show, but uh, has the weight, I guess, like the dark saber has for bo -Katan. It's just the way that he held it and the way he dealt with it. I don't know. Just something I noticed, but uh, that, that... No, no, I think that, that you're completely right. I think that that motif was pretty intentional in the sense of the weapon being a symbol of power and leadership. Like, we don't ever catch with the warlord's actual connection to the spear is or, or what it is, but it's clearly a symbol of her power. So, okay. so I think where we were at was um, uh, Yoda. Oh, I'm sorry. Gogurt. What's his name? <laughs> Gogru. Go, Grogru. Go, Grogru. Queen. Go, 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 Groot, I am Grogu. Uh, I mean, uh, the the meeting between Mando or Jin and uh, Ahsoka is as expected, but you you finally get to see why why they say the Jedi and the Mandalorians are enemies because they just kind of contradict each other in their weaponry. Like one can't hurt the other. And I think both of them are used to being um, pretty efficient when it comes to getting the job done. And for the first time, you see both the both of these things, uh, these ideas, these concepts, these people uh, at a standstill with each other. No one's hurt. And he, even Mando, for the first time, starts talking before he keeps fighting. He's like, Bo-Katan's, bo, uh, so bo sent me. And then she kind of backs down. But before that, I mean, they're going they're going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but nobody's really hurting each other. It's weird. Off for the show. Yeah, and I think that that was one of those... That was one of those super efficient storytelling things. Uh, you know, this is a Dave Filoni episode written and directed, and you can just tell with the efficacy of the storytelling. And he knows the uh, the mistaken identity hero fight and all that that's supposed to be. And he's like, here, boom, boom, boom. Let's give you the, the cool things you want to see. Yeah, real quick. And instead yeah. of like, dragging that out 15 minutes you know again like they give us a movie's worth of story in 45 minutes and so just by giving us two minutes of that we know that they're both 
matched, and we both neither know neither of the, We know that they're going to Vin Diesel versus The Rock fast and furious themselves, and no one's going to get the true upper hand. So I thought it was cool the way that they moved that around. Um, great introduction. Great. Uh, I, I, Bo-Katan sent me to talk. Uh, Bo-Katan sent me to uh, talk to you. Uh, I, I hope about him. Like, <laughs> yeah. Great uh, yeah. comedic timing. Great comedic timing. Um, but but uh, you remind me of right there is what we all expected to see because we do know Ahsoka Tana so well through Clone Wars, through Rebels. Um, but I, I think this is a lot of people's very first introduction to to um, Ahsoka Tana. If you're not familiar with the Clone Wars, and I don't know a lot of people, you know, outside of like a, a more hardcore geek that like, oh, I watched all the Clone Wars and I watched all the Rebels. Um, so I think it was a great introduction to that character. And I think it will probably uh, get get some people to kind of go back and, and look at her origin. And as we've talked about after getting through the Clone Wars, uh, the Clone Wars TV series was just a, as much about Ahsoka Tana's growth and development as it was Anakin's, I think. No. Um, especially, no. yeah, especially in the beginning and then, you know, that very, uh, that very last two seasons for sure. But we always have to remember that it's somebody's first time ever watching the Star Wars and being introduced to the universe. And like Lucy's saying, like, if this is going to be your first time introduced to that character, what a beautiful, powerful way to have, have her drop in and make you want to go back and see who who she is and just what a complicated path she weaves especially if you're unfamiliar with who she is but you're familiar enough with star wars because you're like well, why is she not a jedi you know like because that's never addressed addressed within the the context of this story but we all know Mm-hmm. why why he's like she she never refers to herself like that and she's like well she's probably gonna talk to a jedi um anyway uh great seating and does make you want to go back and watch uh stories in the past um i did i did like uh rosario dawson's portrayal i thought it was right on point i, I know we saw all the fan picks and all kinds of stuff before and you know, sometimes that can lead to a buildup or some disappointment on some level. I was 100% satisfied with her portrayal. I think the way that she withheld herself and then expressed herself at the right times felt right on point with the character, almost like she had voiced her, you know what I mean? Like in the cartoon or something, even though she never did, she just somehow understood the character very well, which which was um, much appreciated. And then her and Baby Yoda and their interactions were, uh, were pretty... Uh, you know, not a lot, a lot said, obviously, but the way, but there's obviously some, a lot of uh, content gone back and forth between them. And uh, if you want to, you know, think about what might've been unsaid that they don't talk about later, we can always do that. Cause it seems like there was a lot unsaid when he's oh, like, yeah. Oh, is he talking? Is he talking? What is he telling you? Oh, he was trained for years. Exactly. How many years? And tell me about these masters who he's trained other. Yeah. So, you know, as, as much as they've done a great job, like setting scenes up and like, not like respecting the um, education, I guess, or, or uh, maturity of the viewer of this, I think they, they really did miss some huge moments there with, uh, 
her, her explaining Baby Yoda or Grogu, if you will, to uh, the Mandalorian a little bit better. Like, hey, you've been flying around the universe about a year and a half with this. Let me give you a little bit more insight than like, yeah, he's a force wielder. Well, that's that's what I'm about. saying is that maybe yeah, exactly. Did, I agree he, with you. He did say that, but she didn't feel the need to express it right now, and he wouldn't know anyway who they were. But then that's also open. It's good storytelling because you leave open holes for people to come in and fill it in later. I didn't find it incongruous at all as the um, as the info dump was necessary. We learned a lot. And it didn't box them in too much. Like everything that we learned was things that we kind of needed to know. Um, we also don't know everything that she, that I, I didn't see it as a problem for her to not over explain because we also have to like understand like, you know, he still is a Mandalorian and she does sense this dark side, yeah, sorry, fear, anger uh, in him. Uh, and it also made me think of something that I was saying in the last season in regards to the myth of the Jedi. And it's one thing for like the Jedi to be mythical, but like nobody knows of Yoda apparently. Yeah. And so like to go on like, well, the only one other one of the, it seemed within uh, it seemed within reason. I didn't I didn't see it as a uh, a sieve to the story. Well, I think I think what I like the most is that Mando isn't a helicopter parent. I see too many of those these days. That was my uh, favorite part. I did love how the training scene went to a very green, verdant, uh, open area of the bog, and so you know when they're dealing with the force, all of a sudden, like this life life-filled green just hits yeah. and then the way that ahsoka um the orange just goes opposite of the green so she just pops and stands out on top of the terrain so even though it's dusty and foggy it's still extremely visually striking very dagobah very san diego <laughs> um so then, I, I mean, from there, it's really just fights, right? Uh, I would also like to say the Imperial armor seems very clunky. And by the clunkier your armor, the better you are as a fighter somehow. Right? If you look at uh, Moff Gideon and you look at uh, Michael Bean in this episode, like they're, like, they're covered up to their neck in, like, this big strife-type armor. Like, you don't really <laughs> need to have it uncomfortably high like that. It's like a metal turtleneck almost. Uh, one thing that I liked is that he says I he's like he smells of ex military. He doesn't say he smells of ex empire, ex imperial, which I thought was like a cool way to show like you know either he's ex rebel, but you know just the fact that there's a ton of small, just like this lady's a warlord. There's just a, a bunch of small disenfranchised planets that had their own planetary defense forces that now have a bunch of mercenaries that are out there looking for cash. Yeah, trying to survive. Good world building. Um, yeah, I also feel that, again, going with the Akira Kurosawa, the, um, yeah, the history of Star Wars being tied to Hidden Fortress and 
Seven Samurai's influence and so all of the motif going through, but it also in this weird way reminded me of, which I understand is its own homage, but it reminded me of Kill Bill with uh, the scene, um, the with the scene. scene. Yeah, thank you, with the snow uh, scene. I think it was, is it Viper? <laughs> yeah, Viper against Mamba. And so a lot of just that setup was, was really cool. And again, what was interesting visually was that you have this really long shot. And so you have so much space that's been taken up, especially like we had pointed out earlier with the long landscape cinematic shots, but they only have this tiny bridge with just all this water. So even though we have this big scene, it's just perfectly bookending encapsulating the, the fight area that we have. And it just works out beautifully. Um, two well, one question. Do, do you think Ahsoka executes Morgan? Uh, they don't ever show it. Um, but she does get the information, which was another mind blower. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Where's your master? Grand Great Admiral God. Thrawn. So he's a bigger baddie than I think Moff Gideon could be. So Moff Gideon, you know, there's somebody pulling the strings in the background and right and they just dropped it. It's got to be a Grand Admiral Thrawn who, you know, I think the only person given Grand Admiral Thrawn orders was uh, was Palpatine. Because I don't even think Darth Vader could uh, was on that same kind of level. I mean, Darth Vader could use the force, but, you know. He wasn't leading uh, armies the way that Thrawn was. No, no, he was he was he was special forces, and Thrawn, you know, Thrawn was the Grand Admiral of the Imperial Fleet, like the yeah. number one guy that's sending the army out there. Uh, I can see uh, Moff Gideon and Thrawn coming to blows. Um, I look at Thrawn in this sense as the Nazis and Gideon as the Red Skull, like you know, like they're on the same path, but they have their own intentions. And now with the dissolution of the heart of the empire, everyone is turning into warlords themselves, just like this lady's a warlord. And it'll be interesting to see how their conflict ends up playing out. I don't think that Moff Gideon, because Moffs are, you know, are independent governors for, our, for all intents and purposes of their own system and in, in the, Navy are, are basically like in different bureaus, different branches. And so I don't know if they would even report directly, but they're obviously going to come into conflict, especially over what's going on in the outer rim as Moff. Um, so you, you think you're setting them up for a conflict and then instead of them working together? Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Makes sense. The system is in disarray, so people are going to be clinging for power. Uh, the is I, I don't remember at all. Start. I was actually talking to uh, Lucy about this earlier. Is um, uh, Thrawn force sensitive? Mm. Okay. No. His big thing actually is nullifying the force. He had those little creatures. The I can't remember. You 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 gatherol strolls a bunch of a bunch of the slug creatures. Yeah. Little slug-like uh, creatures that nullified the force. Yeah, and, and from and a well, planet where Thrawn's, Thrawn's different iterations. 
yeah, just post uh, post Star Wars, the uh, uh, that that trilogy of books, and then um, a com- the same Thrawn, but different continuity when he gets put into Rebels. And and they have been pulling stuff from Legends here and there and sprinkling it in, and I guess pulling it out of non-canon and into canon. Yeah, that's actually like the last note I have about this episode is that when they mentioned planet uh, Tython, that's the original planet where the the Jedi start before they break from Jedi and Sith. That's the planet mm-hmm. where they first find the Force and become Force wielders before they split as a uh, Sith and Jedi, and they're the Jedi. But yeah, there's a lot of they they're bringing a lot of that of that Legends canon in little by little. Yeah, no, there like I said, there is a lot of force dump. I think it's interesting when she had mentioned the seeing stone on top of the mountain because that reminded me of uh, Luke and uh, his uh, force projection across the universe, which then made me remember that I still haven't watched Rise of Skywalker, and <laughs> I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a year next week that it's actually been out. So maybe we'll maybe we'll do a uh, hey geek out. Uh, yeah, good to geek out. If you like to, if you like to watch a live view watch party with us, as we yeah, hey, as we yeah, break down, do that for fucking Christmas, Christmas week. Because as you know, it, I don't think it was really referenced in the TV shows. Um, going back to the Clone Wars, maybe here and there. So I did a little bit of googling on it. Um, it's a huge part of uh, Star Wars: The New Republic video game series, um, where I if. That's like one of the like the main points from that video game, according to the the stuff I read on Wikipedia. Shout out to Wikipedia, um, and then um, and then a lot of the uh, the Star Wars Legends uh, novels. As far as you know, this is like inner inner core or deep core, a deep core world where uh, where you know often not traveled into the deep core. Um, and where the Jedi started and where they ended up splitting. Huge ramifications here. Okay. I think the best way to sum up Thrawn, the fact that he collects artworks of the people that he's fighting so he can better understand who he's fighting to destroy them. In just that one sentence as a pitch of something to make a character interesting, you know, it's as, as good as the guy uh, breathes through a an electric asthmatic samurai mask and has a laser sword. Like, you know, if you're going to give me a one sentence pitch, they do a solid job with that. But the fact that he's also blue skinned and so you are also addressing the inherent subtext of racial superiority and Nazism that is rife within Star Wars. I think they're, they're called stormtroopers. Don't be like, oh, what? What? Nazis? Like, they're, you know, no, so. No, I was saying, but you, you nailed it as far as like, if you go back to Rebels, like his uniform is. You know, all cut perfectly. I mean, he definitely has that uh, staunch Nazi gear, <laughs> like uh, a military dictator presence. Yeah, like hey, yeah, uh, they're definitely opening a lot of doors in this series. For, I mean, well, I mean, from here we're gonna get get like two or three other uh, standalone shows, right, on Disney Plus. I think we get Obi Wan and I don't know a couple other things. All right, on that note, uh, I would like to hold a silent moratorium for Captain Blue Jeans, um, the guy that was seen in the last episode of Mandalorian, the background cast guy. He's been deleted since, and you can't see him anymore. But if you go online, you can still buy his half-action figure. 
editor San Antonio in memoriam of Captain Blue Jeans. Hey, Rob Lucy, uh, Phoenix, Oregon. Uh, can't wait till next week. Super exciting. Super glad to talk to you guys about it. Um, anybody uh, checking the comments? Like, comment, subscribe. See you next week. Uh, Boba Fresh, San Francisco. Thank you for tuning in while we tune out. Hey. No, no, I don't like that either. Uh, Boba Fresh, I'm out of here. San Francisco, love you. Peace. May the force be with you. Uh, uh, Grogu. Watch party. When are we doing this watch party? <laughs>